You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Have you heard the expression, I've used it several times in my messages over the years, uh, when speaking about our relationship with the Lord, particularly the cost of discipleship, and I said, if it hasn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. And that's so very true. Those who would be cross-bearers for Christ, that is his disciples, cannot escape the offense of the cross. You may have heard, even from Pastor Mike, that salvation is free. It's true, it is. But as he'll point out in today's message, that doesn't mean it doesn't come at a cost. If you imagine walking on a long cross-country journey, you may not have to pay anything to walk, but it certainly costs you a lot in your time, energy, as well as your other commitments. As we'll be challenged in today's message, the cost of following Jesus may be great, but its rewards are even greater. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 as he begins his message, The Cost of Discipleship. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, or as an unbeliever, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think, that is the unbelievers, it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Father, we pray now that you bless the remainder of our time together as we treat the subject of the cost of discipleship and what that looks like, what's involved in that commitment that we uh, make. Lord, bless now. God, uh, we pray that you would just draw us all closer to you. Father, I pray that we would all benefit uh, from spending this time together, studying your word, being a part of the service. Father, we thank you. Now bless, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. So once again, the subject that we're treating is the cost of discipleship. Now, let me say, you know, although the Christian life is one that is blessed and wonderful, it is not without its hardships. It's extremely costly. There are obstacles. There's suffering that must be faced and overcome. Have you heard the expression, I've used it several times in my messages over the years, uh, when speaking about our relationship with the Lord, particularly the cost of discipleship, and I said, if it hasn't cost you anything, it's not worth anything. And that's so very true. Those who would be cross-bearers for Christ, that is his disciples, cannot escape the offense of the cross. You know, Paul put it this way in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, in verse 13. He said, let us go forth, therefore, unto him, that is unto God, without the camp, and without the camp is a reference to the institutional uh, Judaism that rejected Christ, bearing his reproach. Listen, gang, Jesus endured untold agony, and we can expect no less than our master. You see, because he suffered, we must suffer as well. But listen, there's always purpose in suffering. I mean, think about what Christ accomplished through his uh, suffering. Like, for example, uh, through his suffering he, uh, suffering, he provided redemption for us and healing. And through his suffering, suffering he became more sensitive to be able to relate to uh, those times when his people uh, suffer. And so, uh, suffering, there's purpose in suffering. So, how are we to approach this subject of suffering? Well, let's go back to our text. Notice what Peter tells us there. The first part of verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. Okay, so, what are we to do? Well, notice the phrase, arm ourselves. What does that mean? Well, simply determine through his grace and his strength, never to know defeat. You know, Paul, uh, picking up on the same subject said in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, which is probably the greatest chapter in all of the Bible on the subject of Christian uh, warfare. But in Ephesians chapter 6, in verses 11 and 12, uh, Paul tells us there, to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wilds, that is, the methods, the strategies, the deceits of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, we're not fighting for victory, because as you know, the battle has already been won for us by Jesus, dying in our place on the cross uh, there he gained and won a decisive victory over the devil and sin. But it's all about Christian maturity. So we're not fighting for victory. That battle has already been won for us by Jesus. We're actually fighting for Christian maturity. And so I'm living one day at a time, trusting the Lord, assured that he will never fail me. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the 55th Psalm, in verse 22, there the psalmist declares, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. So, he is constantly watching over us, 
faithfully protecting us, defending us from the enemy. Let me give you another cross-reference from the book of Psalms. Uh, this one is found in the 84th uh, Psalm in verse 11. And there we are told, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Listen, gang, the truth of the matter is there's no room for fear or alarm in the surrendered heart of one of Christ's disciples. We don't have to turn to anything or anyone else for our help. Jesus is our all and all. And yes, I understand that during those times of trial, it's really hard you know, to reconcile uh, those things with the God who's supposed to supremely uh, love us, and we question why God has allowed uh, those things into our, our lives, when in fact He's supposed to love us. But be assured, there are wonderful lessons to be learned through those trials. There's an example of this from nature, the animal uh, kingdom. In the, mother's, in the mother eagle's treatment of her young, she may appear to be cruel and harsh, but it's all about teaching him to fly. It's, it's something that is in the uh, mother eagle's heart uh, instinctively. God has placed it uh, there. What does she do? She stirs up the nest, the comfort of the eaglet. She topples him over the edge of the nest, forcing him to save himself by spreading his wings. All of the while, she's soaring next to him, watching him, catching him, bringing him back to the nest for rest when she senses his weariness. Does any of that sound familiar uh, to us? We're thrown out of our own nests, our nests of peace and tranquility. We're falling headlong into uncertainty. But there's Jesus, his presence, his comfort, and we are born on his wings. I hope that was a good illustration for us. So, what do we learn through our trials? And think about your own personal experience. Well, that my, when my world is rocked, and we're not exempt from trials and problems and difficulties just because we're a child of God, so when my world is rocked by those sorts of things, we find that God sustains me. He enables us to get through those difficult times. We become keenly aware of His presence, an awareness of His presence that we never knew uh, prior to experiencing those trials, and also His power. We experience it in a new way. I have new insight and perspective on the work of God within our lives. So our trials, therefore, are a blessing in disguise. You know, in the book of Hebrews, let's go back there for a moment. Paul tells us, as it relates to God's work within our, our lives, in chapter 12 in the book of Hebrews, in verses 6 and 11, there we are told, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he receives. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice that phrase, trained by it. And that's exactly what God is doing through our trials, through those difficulties. He's training us. He's equipping us. He's strengthening us. So, 
we need to look for that peaceable fruit that Paul refers to there in that verse of righteousness, which God has promised in affliction, though it is temporarily obscured in the trial. Yes, discipleship is costly because sins must be forsaken. Listen, unquestionably, much of the believer's suffering is to bring him face to face with his sinfulness, provoking him to repentance. But here's the problem with all of that. Few of us hear the still small voice instructing us, reproving us, warning us. And so what does God do? Well, here then he sends the angel of sorrow. Notice there in verse 1, let's go back to our text. He says that he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the revival known in our heart is the result of that sorrow and affliction. The result of the trouble that we have to face, some illness, whatever it might be, some conflict. Those things can cause us to walk closer to the, our Lord. Stay very close to the Lord. It, it causes us to renounce our sins. We make a vow unto the Lord. We let Jesus rule completely and reign in our lives. And now, when that takes place, we're finally going in the right direction. Notice what Peter says there in verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but rather for the will of God. But you know, you can make it easier on yourself just to do the will of God in the first place. Don't neglect the Lord. If you didn't neglect the Lord in the first place, you could have avoided all of the difficulties, some of the problems, some of the trials that you're facing. Hey, listen, real life and satisfaction is only secured by living in God's will anyway. It's there where there is an absence of misery and disappointment. But to walk in the center of God's will for our lives, that our lives might be blessed, we must break with sin. Notice, let's go back to our text there in verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime, and how true this was, in doing the will of the Gentiles, or the unbelievers, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You know, this list, notice the way that it's recommended to us here, is abominable to God. That's the way that he perceives it. It's not tolerable by him. This may have been a part of our past life, yes, but mustn't be allowed in our present. You know, I want you to turn with me quickly, if you would, to the book of Romans in chapter 8, in verses 5 through 8. And Paul there exhorts us, so Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But that's not you and me. That's prior to our making a decision for uh, Christ. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. That's you and, and me. For to be carnally minded is death. That's the result. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or hostile. There's a deep-rooted hatred in spiritual things. 
that is in the carnal mind, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so gang, please make certain that all sin is forsaken and dealt with and that you're following Jesus as closely as you possibly can. Indeed, yes, it is costly to follow Jesus, but that's the cost of discipleship. But it is wonderful. It is an exciting experience. And yes, this kind of a commitment may cost you friendships, your friends, in fact, even the members of your immediate family may harass you. But listen, we should expect this. Notice what Peter tells us and reminds us of in verse 4. In regards to these, they think it strange, that is the unbelievers, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So listen, don't be disturbed by their scoffing, being made fun of, you know, all of the criticism. Don't be deterred from faithful service to God. Don't drift with the crowd. Seek to fit in. Don't be ashamed to belong to Christ. Have you paid this price? That is the cost of discipleship. Have you committed yourself completely to him? Is he the Lord of your life? And yes, it's going to cost you. Well, if not, just simply yield to him now. Don't let anything keep him out of your life and receiving from him his best. Verses 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom being belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so notice here, let's go back to our text. Peter declares the end of all things is at hand. Now, this was never so true as it is at this moment. Considering purely this exhortation in relationship to uh, time. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In the book of Romans, in chapter 13, in verse 11, Paul tells us there, and do this, and he's referring to the things that preceded this particular verse of Scripture as it relates to the second coming, make sure that all of these things are in place in the life of a believer, and do this knowing for the time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believe. And how true this is. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believe considered purely in relationship to time. So, gang, things are winding down. Prophecies depicting the last days have either been fulfilled or are about to come to pass. Jesus is coming back for his church soon. Now, before we go on and treat this text of Scripture, 
I think it would serve us well to remind ourselves once again that here in this epistle, particularly in this section of the epistle, Peter is writing to persecuted uh, believers who have been suffering at the hands of ruthless, godless men. And so in writing these exhortations, he means to inject some hope into their downcast spirits. I mean, there's nothing more encouraging to sense the soon return of Jesus, that Jesus is coming back for us. In fact, that's the great uh, cure-all, because when Jesus comes back again, there's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more sorrow. There's not going to be any more suffering or persecution. There's not going to be any more uh, sickness when Jesus comes back again for his church. Now, because of Peter's anticipation of this event, the apostle emphasizes some of the duties of believers who share the scriptural view of the blessed hope. And that's the way that Christ's second coming is referred to in the Bible as the blessed hope. Now remember, while Jesus was here upon the earth, he spoke of certain signs that would characterize the last days. And when he mentioned those things, also I would remind you that Peter was present. For example, Luke's Gospel in chapter uh, 21, in verse 26, there Jesus tells us that men's hearts would be failing them for fear and the expectation of these things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So, let me break this down for you. First of all, Peter deals with the fear sign, which characterizes and marks the last days. The fear sign. So that's our first point. Notice here, in that text, Jesus said that men's hearts would be failing them for fear. And I want you to think about the days in which we live, present times, the torment of fear that marks our own present age. People are groping in every direction for possible solutions to our world's problems. What are some of those world problems? Well, how about the pandemic? That's a big one. We've been dealing with it now for almost two years. Certain countries, like for example, the things that are going on in Afghanistan, or Haiti, or Syria, the Middle East, uh, among other issues that we're dealing with, global uh, warming. How about that certain uh, leaders have committed uh, certain war crimes, ethnic cleansing, genocide. And listen, for reasons like this, we've uh, we've devised the United uh, Nations with the hope that it would affect a miracle and bring about a peace, that they would Uh, be able to bring peace among uh, men, only to discover it has proved impotent to perform such a miracle. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on one place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship. 
or Pastor Mike Venizio. You can also watch our fully recorded services on Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. You are welcome to join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled.